0: Hey, hey, how's your MacBook?
1: Oh well, I'm still waiting, but I have I apparently less than a week until they announce new ones. You think they're gonna they're gonna do it? Yeah, yeah, I think so.
0: I mean, the product cycle's what? I mean, it's four years old now. So. <laughs> As on on my Ubuntu laptop with my iPad Pro beside me.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, they're definitely going to. Uh what I don't know is if they're going to say you can pre you know order them today when they make the announcement on Thursday or if it'll say hey you can order it in two weeks. But I mean at this point it has to ship for the holidays. It has to. So I, I feel pretty confident that if if you can't order it on Thursday it'll be within a week, be my guess. Yeah. So
0: what what's gonna be new on the on the new MacBooks? Anything
1: well, I mean, from the from the rumors that I've seen, it looks like we're definitely getting the OLED display, right, where your function keys are. Now. Uh,
0: it's called OLED.
1: OLED, whatever.
0: <laughs> I'm just, you know.
1: Yeah, I know. But so we're, I think we're definitely getting that display, which is awesome because it will. Uh, change based on the apps that you're in or what's on your screen. So it can be volume, but it can be other things based on different apps. So I, I think we're definitely getting that, which, uh, is fantastic. Um, I think it's going to be thinner. Uh, what I'm seeing is, um, getting rid of basically all the ports except for maybe Thunderbolt and then USB-C, which is interesting because that's that would mean I mean yeah. I saw one thing today saying they're going to get rid of the magsafe adapter which is the power adapter if if you are you know listeners are familiar with that which has been patented and re- really really great for a long time actually well
0: they got rid of the magsafe with with the macbook
1: with it, with, with the macbook exactly and the so macbook
0: I, 1 or whatever people whatever call it. they call it yeah. <laughs> yeah um
1: so I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that as well um, you know maybe three usb c ports and thunderbolt port or something No SD slot, no um, mag save, no, um, I guess, mini DVI, none of that. I would imagine we're not
0: going to see a a CD drive either, right? (laughs) Yeah. Well, I was hoping for a FireWire connection, you know, because we had those on our iPods. I mean, I I get it, and I know that people are going to be upset that there's no HDMI port, and there's no you know, Ethernet port and a SD card. <laughs> oh, the puppies. Yeah, they're really mad about the
1: Ethernet port. Well, yeah, I mean,
0: it's 2016, and you should have that on a on a machine that's called a Pro, right? No.
1: I mean, no, because, I mean, if you look at the new Apple TV, right? The, did you get the new one? I've got the new Apple TV, and the Wi-Fi on it is faster than the Ethernet port on the Apple TV.
0: Yeah, so, uh, and I'm looking at this <laughs> Ubuntu laptop, so I ordered this. Uh, this is a System76 laptop, which is um, a company that just builds Ubuntu laptops, which is a, a form of Linux. And they're very high-end. They're kind of like the Mac of, of Linux, if you will. So the, the build quality is not that great, but um, I'm just looking at the ports, and there's an HDMI port, the Kensington lock port, two USB 3s, there's a mic port and a headphone, like, port, you know, for three-and-a-half audio. Right. And there's a USB on the other side, A uh I I don't even know what that is, and then, like, a Cat5 port, so you can plug in a TV, and then okay. an Ethernet port, and a VGA port, and then on the back, there's another HDMI port. Wow. And it's, like, what, you know, but it's not that, it's, a, it's like, a 14-and-a-half-inch Laptop. I mean, it's not not too crazy. But I've never used any of those except for the (laughs) USB ports.
1: I'm going to guess, too, that on the the new MacBook Pros, they're going to get rid of the headphone jack, you think? Yeah. 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 So you're going to have to buy USB-C headphones or use wireless headphones. Right. Um, And this is the problem. So I was having this conversation with a friend of mine down here who is, I mean, just livid over... The 7. them dropping over the iPhone 7 dropping <laughs> the headphone jack. Um, I mean, he, so he's gonna get like, um, you know, a 6s or something now when it's really? cheaper so that he can have it for a couple of years because he just really does not, he, he's really against that. And like he's, he drives a car that doesn't have Bluetooth like you do, right? And so he's yeah. always like plugging in his, um, like an adapter into the air with his phone and all this stuff. But, we have this conversation, and the thing that makes sense to me with wireless headphones is you need to have uh, basically inductive charging, right? Kind of wireless charging. So you have a, what I'm thinking is the disc, the disc that Apple sells for their watch. That if you have a disc like that, that you every night you drop your phone on it, you drop your watch on it, you drop your earbuds on it, and they're all
0: wireless and they're all charged when you pick it up in the morning. Yeah, but right? I mean, nobody does that. And then plus, even if you did that. I mean, having gone through Nexus phone I know it was like a couple of years ago, but having gone through Nexus Android phones that use inductive charging, it, it's very slow because, you know, right. based on, like, contact. Plus, the the devices get really hot, which isn't in itself bad, but it feels like it's bad in the, right. in the world where I'm on a plane yesterday back from Las Vegas, and they're like, well... We can't have your Samsung Galaxy Note Seven. <laughs> and I heard this like 15 times throughout the day. Right. And they were making these random announcements in the airport and when you get on the airplane, of like you know you can't bring this phone on. So when you you know when you're holding a phone that's like pretty much could, could cause a skin lesion. It's like do I feel like really want that? You know. So to, to yeah. To think that that's going to be you know because it it generates external heat. And there's no way around that with inductive charging. And I think that's why Apple never went with that. And Google's moved away from it. Like, it's next. Uh, right. Well, last two so Nexuses don't have that.
1: And I guess, so then maybe not inductive, but, I mean, we need some sort of wireless charging.
0: Like right? Nikola Tesla, right, where everything <laughs> just kind of charges over the air.
1: Yeah, right, exactly. I mean, it's, right? why can't we do that? I mean, that that to me is is how you're actually going to get people to buy into
0: wireless headphones and wireless earbuds yeah i mean maybe but i, I think it, it, it's sort of like the idea of people buying phones that only last for a year or two before people get bored with it right like 10 years ago that would have never been the case i mean you know but it's got 20 30 years ago you I know mean, a phone is an appliance it's like a refrigerator right. It's something that you buy once maybe every 10 15 20 years and, and if you buy a wireless phone in 1995, like, yeah, right. that, that metal antenna that you pull out is going to snap <laughs> off at some point. But you can still stand close enough to the receiver to make it work. And now we're at the point where, like, these old mini pocket computers, you know, it's like, oh, the iPhone 7's out or, the, you know, the new Samsung's out. And I have to rush down to the Verizon store to buy a brand new one, like, every year. And, and that's kind of wearing off. Um, so I think Apple and yes. And yes. Everybody's kind of at the point now where they realize eh, we're not going to be able to keep doing that. Right. Product cycles are definitely lengthening. Yeah, it hits the iPad. Sure.
1: I mean, right. Oh, and the iPad was—I I think that was kind of shocking for them how that happened with the iPad because they're not an everyday-use machine, right, for most people, and um and not in the phone. way that they're not in the way that their phones are. Yeah. Well, and, exactly. And so they're lasting uh, significantly longer. No, I I think you're right. The product cycles are lengthening though. God, this four year long product cycle for the MacBook pro is
0: ridiculous. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you why. As as someone who works for a company that still uses (laughs) stuff, (laughs) the, the 20 aughts, including our, you know, our, uh, whole infrastructure of software, not just hardware. Um, yeah, you know, there's something special about opening up, um, you know, Outlook 2010, and and having to deal with that. No, there's not. No, but there's not. It's fun. It's fun. But no. it, syn- it syncs it wonderfully to things like iPhones with reminders, and you know, if you, if you have all the right software in place. Um, but yeah, I, I I don't know. I think we're we're at that weird kind of um, kind of intermediary period with, with these mobile devices where they're going to become appliances. And I, I think Google and sort of the Android project realizes that the idea that mobile devices being cheap and kind of ubiquitous and, and you buy one every year because it's 200 bucks or 100 bucks, like that's not really the model. But I don't think Apple's model is the right one either where it's, you know, eight $9,000 for a brand new device every right. year or two years. I, I, you know, there's some kind of weird disruption point there that we haven't quite nailed down um you know it, it's like back in the day like you could buy a really nice uh you know a, hand, a cordless phone for 150 dollars or 100 bucks or whatever or you could just go buy the one with the wire attached to it that you know the curly key wire that costs 20 bucks and maybe you might get the see-through one for for thirty dollars, you know, with the clear plastic. Oh, that's right. I remember, those? remember those? Yes. That was awesome when I was a teenager. That was awesome. Yeah. Um, you know, and that was like 20, 30 bucks, but you know, it was kind of seen as an upgrade. And I think we're going back to that. And we're, we just haven't hit that market equation yet where, where we figured that out. Cause we're only 10 years into this. And if, if you think about right. phones, I mean, you had to rent your phone from bell, like, Bell South or Ma Bell or whatever up until like 1972, 1973. Um, you yeah, so the whole idea of the phone industry really didn't come about until the mid 70s itself. You know, because that was something that you rented from the phone company, which is kind of what we did with cell phones for the first ten right. years. Um, so now we're getting to this point where that's been disrupted, and and I think we'll we'll kind of get to the same point, and then all of a sudden we're all going to be talking to our computers. Speaking of. Um, tonight I was I was uh, made a random impulse by I was playing around with my Echo, my Amazon Echo, which I, I mostly use in the nursery, which I kind of hate because it's a very awesome device.
1: <laughs> right, and all you're doing is saying like play this lullaby, <laughs>
0: play lullabies, <laughs> or you know 4 a.m. It's like all right, play NPR or right. you know what's the headline news. Um, read me my calendar for the morning and. I, I I just haven't used it since Ben's been born. Um so I, I was just kind of fishing through some tech news and, and saw something about the the new Amazon Echo Dot, like the the new the version right. two or whatever. Fifty bucks. All you have to do is tell your Echo to order one. I was like, screw it. <laughs> so I was like You know. Alexa, I'm sorry. Uh Ahoy mate, whatever, uh please order me. A, uh, and and Echo and the voice of the computer. I, I don't want to say it because even if, you know, if it's playing on someone's device and they hear it, yeah. Right. And it says, hey, uh, do, do you want the black one or the white one? And I was like, well, the black one. All right, great. So version two, right? And I was like, yes. I was like, great. Are you sure you want to order that? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and boom, it's done. I was like, wow, that's that's kind of cool. But I think that's going to be computing, you know, like we're, we're rapidly moving to a point where even like an iPhone is going to be obsolete in five, 10 years and you're going to be talking or interacting spatially or some way with with devices that doesn't involve any kind of touch inputs for for the majority of people that aren't sitting in front of a computer, you know, doing accounting or whatever.
1: Yeah. So I'm wondering like, do you, do you, where do you
0: think wearables play into that? I think, I think that we've vastly overplayed like the idea of Google Glass and that that type of thing. Like, oh yeah, think,
1: absolutely. Yeah. yeah,
0: I mean, even like Microsoft HoloLens and and all the sort of VR AR headsets that we have now, the HTC Vive, which is kind of the the first in class for right now, which is really surprising that HTC is yeah kind of conquered this territory at this point. Um, you know, Oculus Rift from. Facebook slash Oculus has really kind of taken a back seat, and they've fallen way, way, way behind. Uh, Google just came out with Google Daydream, which we're going to get early next year, and that looks really exciting. I've got a, I'm looking at a Google Cardboard right now across the office here at home. Um, my kids love it. It's fantastic. You, you throw any type of phone in there. You, you download some apps from the Google Play Store, and, and boom. I mean, it's, it's a fantastic experience. And there's all sorts of really cool games and apps that you can do. Um, but you're holding a piece of cardboard in front of your face. Right. So the real trick is going to be, you know, what something like Magic Leap or or a company that can transcend this idea of having to put something on your face or on your arms. You know, like I don't want to say it's going to be contact lenses, but you know, we 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 dealt with this stuff in the early nineties. I mean, Nintendo had the that VR headset. Do you remember that? Like the I forgot the name of it. There was, there was, like, a Nintendo headset and we could put on, and, like, you wore, like, boxing gloves, and you could you could do the same types of things that we're trying uh, to do now again.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm just thinking, like, so I got the new Apple Watch. Has yours come in yet?
0: No, I that actually didn't order it yet. Um, oh, okay. It's been terrible, yeah.
1: Because um, we were, like, going back and forth, and because, Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know how it is when you order something and then it's three to five weeks shipping, and it actually takes three to five weeks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, really
1: frustrated. But so yeah, so I've had mine for a couple of weeks now, and uh, you know, like every day, kind of finding out new use cases for it, um, and and new things I want to do with it. And so, like one of the things I've changed in my um, kind of routine is. Not for all my lists, but for my grocery list in particular, I've started using the internal reminders app. Yeah. Because I can just, you know, say to my phone, uh, or to my watch, you know, add milk to my grocery list. And then it does it. And it's synced with my wife, uh, on hers. She can do the same thing with her watch. And then when I'm walking through the store, like I did tonight after work, walking through the store, I can just look at my watch, see what's on my list you know, check it off, move to the next thing, not have to hold my phone out in my hand while I'm trying to grab groceries, push a cart and all that stuff. And so it's a lot more seamless, but it seems to me that one of the things that kind of makes that a little bit easier to use is because it is, it's this tech, but in a more traditional format, like a watch, right? Whereas the kind of AR and VR stuff is, is completely new. New in a sense, right? Where you're having to put something on your face, Google Glass, you're having to wear something you wouldn't normally wear. Um, and so I'm wondering, like, if that's what, if that's what we might see a kind of combining, a continued combining of, um, kind of traditional things with, uh, the new tech.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, I mean, first of all, I do want to talk about the, the watch and what you think about that, but, I mean, I think it's going to be much... I mean, I, I think that the Star Trek computer is not too far off about right. where we're going to be. And, you know, it, it's, it's customized for each person. You know, so Commander Riker has a different experience with the computer than, say, Captain Picard does because they're two very different people and the computer gets that. And Captain Picard can say, you know, Earl, Earl Grey T. Hot, and the computer knows exactly what he wants and means by that. And Riker can, say, play a trombone jazz, and the computer on the Enterprise knows exactly what type of jazz that Commander Riker wants. Um, and, and, you know, when they bring new people onto the ship, they're always like, well, just use a computer for a little bit, and it'll learn what you want. And, you know, to, to predict that back in the early 90s, late 80s, was, right. was pretty cool. But I, I don't ever see us... I mean, maybe I'm, I'm off here, but... I do think the era of the keyboard and mouse and a screen is is quickly going away but I don't ever really see us like sort of as a mainstream adopting something that you have to physically put on top of your eyes or your face right in order to cause like an interaction so I don't know if it looks something so, like you know AR integrated into you know projection on walls and spaces and that kind of thing which seems
1: you know, kind of like honestly, what I'm thinking is something like Minority Report. Yeah, right, right. right. You walk in the store and it just like knows you, uh, and you're getting there with. A couple stores are kind of doing this, right? With your yeah, with beacons, yeah, yeah, with beacons and stuff like that. So it just knows you. You pick up what you want and walk out of the store, and it charges you for it.
0: Right. Um, yeah, you can do that. You can do that at uh, Apple Store today. Like, right. You can order whatever from the app, uh, Apple Store app walk into an Apple store, pick it up off the shelf and walk out if you pay for it. And no one gives you a hassle. I've done it before. And it's really, really, really freaky. I mean, (laughs) it's worse than like paying for things that, you know, with, with Apple pay at a Walgreens, you know, which is kind of still weird, but just walking into an Apple store and picking up like a a cord and walking out, it's like, eh, you know, but, but they know you and and they see you and, and you're being tracked and that's cool. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be kind of a subtle AR, VR experience. Like, I don't right. think we're all going to be playing Pokemon, you know, full time. But I do think there's going to be elements, like you said, like in Minority Report, where, um, you know, uh, Tom Cruise walks into the, the mall and, and the Gap thing, like, projects images at him and says, hey, you know, here's here's your, your size and here's, right. you know, based on what you bought last week, here's the pants that you want to buy. Um, right.
1: And, of course, that's like, that's... um you know, optical recognition there. And so when he has his eye changed out, then yeah. it's like somebody else. But, uh, yeah, but
0: it is like a completely personalized experience. Yeah. And, and that's what we want as marketers. I mean, right. The era of, of broadcast marketing, I mean, I just got back from a marketing conference. I, I could talk all day about this, but yeah, I mean, that's over and we're all looking for that. We're all hoping that happens, qu- you know, sooner than later. Yeah. Uh, because it helps us out.
1: So here's, here's my question. So I was at this, um, this event last night, uh, local event here in Tallahassee, kind of political thing went with uh, some friends of mine took me and it was fantastic. Um, but so what I'm thinking is how do we get there with, like we're hoping to get there in marketing, right? When you're trying to sell stuff, how do you get there in politics? Right? Because this to me seems like they are really lagging behind. Right. So, and I'm just thinking some of the stuff that was discussed there about mailers and things like that, um, which is just, I mean, yes, direct mail. I I do think it can still be somewhat effective, but I mean, what do you think? What do you when you look at it from a marketing, you know, perspective? how do you com how do you think what do you think is the way forward in politics to give us that personalized experience? I mean, I certainly don't think the direct message I got today is it's that way, right?
0: Yeah. Well, About I mean,
1: you know, an event a local event like, you know, a random direct message, hey, you should come here, but it was forty five minutes after the doors opened when I got the message. That's not gonna work.
0: Yeah. I, I think it it depends on what you what you think that local or national or regional or whatever political campaign is trying to accomplish, you know, are are they trying to get the vote out? They're trying to get people to show up at an event or are they trying to get people to share their stuff on social media?
1: But what, but my question is what, what methods do you use? Right? Like what, what's the, I mean, yeah, it's going to change a little bit, but, um, I mean do you think that the tools exist now to give us that type of experience oh, yeah. or and, and then how how do you actually do it because honestly I mean I think Obama did a great job I um kind of really realizing uh, the power of social media in his first campaign um but we honestly haven't moved very far from that I don't think
0: well I mean we have but the, the problem is well I, I would say you're not in a targeted area I, I guess
1: Well, that's true. I know that I know that I'm not the audience for most of this. I understand that.
0: Yeah. And I I think if you were like a registered independent in Homestead, it might be different, you know, but even even though you're in Florida, um, you know, I I think you're in an area where heavily Democratic,
1: heavily Democratic city, certainly in the capital city here. Yeah,
0: right. So you're not seeing the full effect, you know, like if you're in in Cleveland or if you were in Cincinnati or, or Homestead or. You know, Lancaster or Pennsylvania or something like that, where where it really is fifty fifty. You know, gosh, Trump was in Fletcher, North Carolina today, outside of Asheville. I know. Like, you like Asheville? Really? You're you're campaigning? Yeah,
1: but it's but it's <laughs> outside. But it's outside of Asheville.
0: And Fletcher, North Carolina, is a very conservative part of Western right. North Carolina. Um, so, I mean, I, I think that's what I'm trying to say. It's like it it really depends on the location. So the variable now is not just you know, if, if you're voting or if you're white or if you're male or female, or if you're African American or Latino or Hispanic, the the real important demographic is where specifically are you located by zip code down to sub zip code, you know, like the four digits after your zip code, like that really is kind of the, the, the big dependency. And even with the campaigns we run, um, you know, like, that's the place where I start is, you know, I, I don't want to know anything else initially, but like, what's the zip code? What's the four digit auxiliary on top of that zip code? Mm-hmm. Cause I want to know specifically, basically what street you're on. Uh, and if I can tell that, then I can tell a whole lot about you. Um, you know, even though I have, I don't know anything else about you. I can tell pretty much your demographic. I can tell your race. I can tell your median income. I can tell how many people are in your household. I can tell whether or not you're, you're, you know, uh, inclined to do this or that. Um, so I, I think to go back to your your question, like, where does that kind of minority report type marketing fit into politics? Like, it really depends on if you're a desirable or not. <laughs> you know, like, are you a deplorable or a desirable or an adorable? Yeah, yeah I mean, honestly, I, and and yeah. Ugh. That's part of the marketing matrix, you know, it's like, it's like today. Yeah, I was working on a, on a Google AdWords campaign and one of the, the ways to have a really successful Google AdWords campaign, which if you don't know is when you search on Google and you see the, the paid ads, like people are paying for this, uh, where it says ad beside And they're very lucrative and they're great because you can get down to the, the zip, right. sub zip code, uh, for those. So when we do those campaigns, one of the the main ways to make sure that's gonna work really well is to have what we call negative keywords. So you do just as much much research and work on building a negative keyword list as you do right. your positive keyword list. And the same thing goes for politics. So, you know, when Hillary was talking about deplorables, I mean she's not Donald Trump has a list of deplorables as well, you know, like he just doesn't call them that I'm sure, or his campaign right. does. Um, you yeah, know, people like you who are not going <laughs> to, you exactly. know, like, there's no reason in spending our money there. Like we're we're not going to sway those people. Same reason Hillary doesn't campaign in Montana or Idaho or something like that. Um, so it's you know, it, it really depends down to the the zip code of of where you are. But how, how does that look with like Brar type stuff? I think there's going to be. Such a, I mean, like social media has impacted politics much more than any type of right other marketing. I mean, yes, you know, it, retail commerce, you know, things like we do, like lending, all that stuff. Like, yes, is very, very much impacted by social media and and the the kind of what we call the the, the buyer's journey or the customer journey or you know whatever that consumer journey from of initial like inquiry to finally making the decision to buy or, or subscribe to something like that's a whole journey, and we like to plot that out and figure out the pain points and alleviate those, and that's part of the the modern market, mar, yes. modern marketing matrix. But with politics, that customer journey is really weird because there are so many variables. So you, you want to eliminate as many of those as you can and focus on the one thing you you do know, which happens to be location.
1: Yeah. So so it's interesting. I mean talking about social media and how it's changed politics. I do think you're right. There was an interesting story um that was told at this event last night. There's um there's been a fairly con- contentious uh race um for a school superintendent. And um <clears throat> there was an ad shown uh, a couple weeks ago that a lot of people thought crossed the line and just kind of blew up. I mean everybody, I mean Everybody knows about the ad, right? That this particular candidate ran. Um, and one of the, um, people talking last night said that that ad only aired 12 times, but it was the, the social media, you know, um, kind of force behind it that, and I, so I guess I like kind of counted myself as one of the lucky ones who actually saw it run live. Um, but that that kind of changed it that changed the game, right? That, that blew it up and everybody didn't heard about it. And then, and you couldn't find it online later. You can only find like a clip here or there in a news story. But, uh, so a lot of people, most people didn't actually ever see the ad. They just heard about it and then formed their opinions that way. But so it makes me wonder that if it makes me wonder if kind of our activity on social media and our location there, um, in a sense, like you're talking about our physical location of our zip code. Um, if, if, if we're kind of doing our own, we're kind of doing this work for the marketers, right? Because I mean, we know how we're self-selecting or for the marketers, for the campaign managers, whomever. Um, we're kind of self-selecting, right? Our groups and things like that. And so I wonder if there's a way in which we are um kind of doing a lot of the work for them.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, completely. And that's one of the glories of social media for, marketing experts that understand that. I mean, because you're self-selecting and, you know, I I can take a a email list of three million people and dump it into Facebook and say, create me an audience of 30 million people that look just like this group of three million people that I bought for, you know, a thousand bucks, two thousand bucks, whatever the going rate. Right. Um, Depending on the amount of data you have, whatever. So even if I just have a few thousand email uh, subscribers, maybe name, email, if I have address, wonderful, that's even better. So I dump that into Facebook. Facebook will auto-generate like a, a, a group of people that have the same affinities as that small subset of data that you have. Mm-hmm. And you can market straight to those for pretty cheap. You know, Whereas if you go out and you try to put a, an ad on the CBS Evening News, that's going to cost you $200,000. Um, but if you, you know, and you run that over the course of six weeks, whatever. But if you, you know, buy an ad on Facebook for fifteen thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, or two thousand dollars, you can get a pretty good chunk of people who are very specifically, um, you know, sort of targeted to the the type of data and, and group that you want. And that's you know, from a marketing point of view, that's amazing. And the results are so much better than anything we've ever gotten from. from yeah. broadcast network or broadcast TV and that all has to go back to self-selection um, but even if you're you're watching CBS Evening News and you have your Apple TV or your well, on the Apple TV but if you have your Xbox Live or you know whatever on you're still sending data back or your Amazon Echo or whatever um, and eventually that's going to come back to us and we're going to figure out oh well we can hear this you know we, we can't hear this person's conversation in their living room <laughs> You almost let it slip. You almost let your secret slip. (laughs) But Amazon tells us that we can buy this audience based on the things that they watch, whether it's sports or they're watching drama or they're watching action movies or they're having family conversations at 5.30 through 7.30. And and Google's coming out with Google Home this fall. Like, that sounds creepy, but it's, you know, it's big data. And I don't think that's creepy as much as... Nielsen calling you and saying, so what did you watch this week? Can you put that down in a journal and mail that in? Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's, that's the one thing you know, I don't want to make political statements, but I think, <laughs> I think that's the one thing that Hillary's group has inherited from the Obama uh, campaign, you know, in, in terms of utilizing big data and understanding the algorithms and the variables involved, whereas Donald Trump's Media sort of blitz has been more kind of a kind of an old school. Uh, right, right, you know, right. let, let's get the people angry and and get them out with pitchforks and and we're going to use one channel. Um, and we we've seen this over history. I mean, it, you know, whether it was in the '60s, uh, you know, George Wallace used radio really well, and then we saw Nixon use in the late '60s despite his earlier inconveniences with television in, in the late sixties, Nixon used television really well as his sort of campaign medium.
1: Right.
0: And then Reagan used, uh, newspapers and, and the debates really well. And now we're seeing Trump Hillary use, Clinton use Snapchat. <laughs> well, I was going to say Trump using Twitter as his broadcast channel. Right. No, that's right. You know, so, you know, he's, but he's focused on that. And like you were saying the other night when we were watching the debate, like his Facebook live thing was pretty awful. Uh, because he didn't understand the medium but he right. understands I, twitter. I think that's yeah I, I think that yeah he understands twitter yeah or or um, because people do or, or whatever that is but yeah um he he's got that audience there just like you know uh, goldwater had a really strong audience for people who wanted to hear him but when people saw him on tv in
1: 1964
0: four yeah no yeah 64 yeah People are like, oh my gosh! Like, uh, you know, we don't we don't want to vote for him. But when they heard him on the radio, they thought, right. oh, that's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah, we need to get out of the UN. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. well So,
1: should we talk for a second about Trump
0: TV? <laughs> I, I didn't get to see it. So you told me I was looking at the Trump Tower building, right?
1: Up, yeah, that's still,
0: right. but I, I didn't get to.
1: Because you were you were in Vegas when the debate was there.
0: I was on the second waiting list for the debate.
1: Oh man, I know. God. So um, yeah, so basically, Trump runs this Facebook Live thing uh, leading up to the debate, um, and it's the. I mean, I don't know. It was bad. They were running like commercial breaks, which is were they. So yeah commercial breaks commercial breaks and like one was from Ivanka and I think another there was like an anti-Hillary one or something but um but then they had a panel there just like your broadcast networks do you know for their debate pre-game show and so it's like what do you you're just trying to take this old thing this old model and just plug it into here and broadcast it on your Facebook page and that's just not gonna work all right and so the I mean, I I personally think that whatever iteration it comes in, this Trump TV that everybody is expecting to happen when he loses, um, I don't see any way it's successful. I know that he has, you know, Breitbart guy, Bannon, now on his uh, staff, um, and I know that people think he's a great TV entertainer. I just don't see any way he actually puts together something successful after this for a couple of reasons, one being that – half the country now is vehemently opposed to anything he's going to be involved in. And so it doesn't matter if it's the, the apprentice, which I I always thought was kind of a horrible show. Uh, I mean, I like, I never thought it was worth my time, but, um, doesn't matter if it's something like that, that did pretty much cut across a lot of these traditional boundaries. Um, I think you already have a built in segment of the population that is going to not watch it on purpose. Um, And then you have this – he can't put together a a traditional TV channel because of how expensive that is. And we've seen that that's just not worked with Blaze. And even Al Jazeera America right? has had a lot of financial problems, and they had a lot more kind of support and backing, I think, than some others did. So he can't do that. So what does he have to do? He has to do something that seems to be internet-based. And if it's based on Facebook Live, one, you should know you should never build something on top of somebody else's platform. right? That's not smart. Um, But I think that if it, that if they go that way for cost reasons, they clearly don't understand those mediums, and so I, I, I just don't think it's going to be any good. I think they think they have something, and at most it's going to be a flash in the pan.
0: Why do you think that it takes more than half of America – I mean 40 percent of the US is going to vote for Trump? Right. If Trump were to launch a TV – network that would be successful i mean
1: no i don't but no i don't think so because part of the problem too is the way um these the way packages are set up now through providers right so something like trump tv is going to be in the top tier package and so yeah, you'll have some people who are willing to pay for that, but you're going to have a significant portion of the country that's not. And so that already, even of your supporters, that cuts out another um, a, a huge number of people that could be watching it, that could be you know eyeballs for ad, you know, to bring in ad revenue. So I so I think if he goes the traditional route, I, I think that that's that's a major hurdle that he has. If he goes the non traditional route to you know Facebook Live or, or something like that um i think the problem there is one they he he and his team don't understand the medium we've already seen that um so i think that's a problem but i think the other problem is there's going to be i don't know if fatigue is the right word but at a certain point the the energy begins to sap a little bit right um and so everybody's fired up now because they have a, a clear end goal and that end goal is november 8th but come November 9th, when Trump loses, and then at a certain point, whenever he finally kind of goes off the national stage, which he inevitably will, um, I think people will, as they always do, go back into their regular lives. Now there's going to be a lot that will be different, but I don't think that there's, that because there's no clear end goal like November 8th, that there, that he's going to be able to sustain um That forty percent of the country um, coming back to him and and kind of feeding at the trough of Trump for you know on a regular, consistent basis.
0: I don't know. I mean,
1: I mean, how many viewers do you have to have to make something successful and sustainable? right? Not very many. I get I, I get, but that's because you you can get away with not having very many if you're able to subsidize it some other way right you have other programs you have your six o'clock program that is able to subsidize your 1 p.m program right and Trump TV is not going they're not going to have that starting out I don't know <clears throat> I mean what do you think they get a they get a million people to watch every night probably not I'm just
0: thinking about, you know, when you look at, like, the Alex Jones crowd, you know, or even things like Coast to Coast, you know, it's it's not huge. Or Dan Savage, you know, those types of people. Right. Michael Savage. Which one's the <laughs> – one is a sex guy one is a conservative uh, radio guy. Michael Savage is the radio guy, right? They're all Dan the same. Savage I've... is the sex guy. Anyway, um, I clearly don't listen to that enough. Uh, or, or, um, you know, you, you talk about like, uh, Glenn Beck. I mean, look, look at what Glenn Bagg's done. You know, he's not on TV anymore. But he's, he's transitioning him, himself into a very sustainable model. Um, that's, you know, he's, he's played with radio and TV and kind of blending the two. He's got his own sort of quasi network out there. Sean Hannity's kind of doing the same thing. Um, you know, it, it's kind of like the, the breakup of the big blog channels back in the day, you know? Right, and right. now we're seeing things like uh, premier radio, which is Rush Limbaugh and formerly Sean Hannity and Glenn Beck's big, um, you know, radio kind of station. I mean, that's been broken up. Um, I mean, it's still out there and it's still very powerful, but I, I don't think Trump needs a million people to watch his show at any given time. Um, you know, you, if you look at the stats on MSNBC, they're getting somewhere around 100 to 200 thousand people watching during the daytime at any given spot.
1: Right.
0: And for shows like Rachel Maddow, yeah, it does get up to two, three million people. But that's you know at, at peak hour, and then it goes back down to one, two hundred, three hundred thousand people.
1: Right.
0: A successful podcast. I mean, Serial gets much more than that every episode. I mean. And and yeah, but, okay. random like tech podcasts I listen to get twenty thirty fifty hundred thousand downloads a week like right I mean we get like two hundred fifty thousand a week <laughs> I mean but we get what a thousand two thousand three thousand a week easily yeah
1: no so okay so th- so this but this brings me to an- another thing I said and 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 maybe people will think that I'm completely wrong on this um
0: everyone thinks you're wrong about everything
1: I know I do not think Donald Trump is like he's not a good entertainer. I just do not think he is. I don't think he – yes, I know what he's done on the national stage in this election, and and, and I understand how he – and the ways that he has done that. I've written about that. I've analyzed that. I understand that. But as far as it – when it comes to these mediums, right, with Rush Limbaugh, with Glenn Beck, with Sean Hannity, like, one, they can string sentences together no matter how asinine you think what they're saying actually is. They can actually string coherent thoughts together, which Donald Trump is apparently completely incapable of. So like he could never do a podcast, right? I mean, if that's the medium that, you know, Trump media corporation is going to go is going to go with podcasting or, you know, something like radio or something like that, that's not TV, or maybe they want to go with uh, some hybrid of the tube. It was what's it going to look like, and basically a Howard Stern interview every week. Like that's that's just not going to work, I don't think. And I just don't think he's good enough to keep people coming back.
0: Is yeah. okay? So Brashland had a TV station or a TV show back in the in the nineties. Do you remember that? Yes, yes. And he pimped his, or that's a terrible. He, <laughs> he We'll take that on post production. He uh, pushed his his ties and and uh, I forgot what else he was pushing. Howard Stern had a had a TV show on E! back in the day, Yeah. back in the 90s. My dad loved that show, by the way. That's how I'll get it, just Howard Stern. But uh, Rush Limbaugh's show tanked. Like, it only lasted for a little bit. Like, it did not work because he was not a good, you know, kind of a TV presence at the time for what people expected out of, out of TV. Right. I can't explain it, but when you watch a Donald Trump rally or campaign event or whatever you want to call it, it's entertaining. You know, like whether you agree with him or not. Is
1: it though? Like, yeah, no, I absolutely. I have watched I have watched more than my fair share Terrible. of Donald Trump. I'm not saying I agree. He is, he's, he is not good. He's a horrible public speaker.
0: It well, doesn't yeah. matter if he's extemporaneous or if he's
1: reading off his teleprompter. He's horrible, right? There's nothing to kind of draw you in.
0: A jillion people at each show i mean you know it's not about the quality of your public speaking i mean you know by you know i mean by that estimate like yes you know obama was a great public speaker and he had a lot of people come and he was very entertaining and that was great but and so you know same with bill clinton but people love george w bush and he was a terrible public speaker as well
1: yeah but he could actually string a full sentence together yeah, you're, right. speaking,
0: you're speaking in bigly terms here,
1: Thomas. I know, I know. Strategery. That's what we need. We need some strategery. I don't, I don't know. I mean, well, obviously, we're going to see what happens. I 100% believe that there's going to be some push for some sort of Trump media, Trump TV, whatever you want to call it, after the election. His son-in-law has already made inquiries about that. We know. Um, so I think we're going to see that. I just – do not think he it's going to succeed because I actually just don't think he's that good even with it the ardent support that he has right now
0: but but the apprentice did so well it, Apprent- it was huge it was big time everybody loved it
1: it was it it didn't do that i mean i guess it stayed on for a long time it was so like i guess it, it, was
0: well. like a, it won like three Emmys or whatever and it was like <laughs> it should have <should've> won three <laughs> and but you know
1: but, but but if the Emmys weren't rigged, it would have won
0: three. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. But it it did well. It was a number 1 show for a long okay. time. I I, I how- didn't realize it was on that long. I I, I watched the first couple of seasons. I'll right, admit
1: the it. first couple of seasons. But then how many people watched after that? I don't I don't know. I guess I just ah. think like oh. I I th- I think that that became a an institution of sorts and it stayed on much longer than it should have, which I think happens to a lot of shows. Um <coughs> Grey's Anatomy. <coughs>
0: It's that's been still on like
1: 75 years now yes
0: hell she's not in med school anymore is she I, have no,
1: I don't know, I don't know because I'm sure as hell not watching it. could be Grandma Gray's anatomy <laughs> exactly but so okay, so fine the apprentice was it was a fine TV show. It stayed on longer than any TV show I've ever created, certainly <laughs> but but I don't, I don't know I mean one there's I, I guess you know I would wonder like how much I, I don't know but how much control did Trump actually have? Over that, or was it Burnett uh, that actually had the the kind of r- real production control behind it? And Trump just, you know, was full of himself, being able to tell women to get on their knees and telling people they're fired, right? I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I also think that that there's some unquantifiable aspect of this, of how he has uh, rather tarnished his brand. I mean, and there, there, are, you know, estimates that I'm seeing out now about the value that has been lost of the Trump brand, uh, during this campaign. And whereas he was kind of funny and goofy or, or whatever people thought on the apprentice and, oh, he, he must, he, he must know what he's talking about because he's like a, a rich guy or something. Um, I think that veneer is all gone now. And so I think that what will bring his ardent supporters coming is not anything like he's ever done before. It's what he's doing in this campaign. But again, I don't think that's sustainable because there's no clear end point. There's no goal to work toward. It's just we're going to work. And, and I know that, yes, some other people are doing this. Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, et cetera. We're going to work up and just make people mad all the time. But there's nothing like there's no clear end goal. It works for some, but I, I think that, that the market is fairly saturated as far as that's concerned, and I don't think Wait. Trump is anywhere near good enough to be able to break into that. But Glenn Beck, unless he unless he creates something where he can pull all of that talent, then that might be successful. If he's not the talent,
0: but Glenn Beck, Rush Limbaugh, Hannity—you know, those guys have gotten to where Trump has, and you know, actually shown that they can be on the national stage and almost win presidency. Yeah, and and I think, yeah,
1: but none of them ever actually ran for president either.
0: Well, I mean, maybe that was the the edge. maybe that
1: was the the, the edge, right? Maybe yeah. maybe that was the smart move. But what's the next move? I don't I don't see one. I don't know. Maybe I'm like I said. Maybe I'm completely wrong.
0: I, I mean, I, I don't think you're wrong. I just, I just think that we're not in an age anymore where you need a million people looking at your screen at any given time to be successful. I think Trump. Will be successful by continuing continuing to leverage the brand and selling steaks and having a university and doing this and doing that, right. having his yeah. vodka. I mean, that's that's his business is leveraging his brand. So if the TV station or or you know the channel, if it's on Twitch or if it's on cable, which I doubt, or if it's on Facebook Live or you know wherever that channel is, and hopefully he's got people who are. Bigly intelligent and and doing the research Into where that should be Um If he's got that kind of Sort of base And he's able to leverage out that Trump brand I think he's going to be Successful for a long time Because clearly he can rally people I mean I think if Glenn Beck Had run for president or Sean Hannity or any of those guys They would have been decimated or they would have been defeated uh, You know clearly in, in the Uh in, in the primaries, and I don't think yeah. some, I don't think it's an accident or some kind of aberration that that Trump is where he is. I think there's a lot of people who want someone like him to be their their leader and their their uh, their guidepost. as to what you know a real American should be, and someone who speaks for them. and He's he's a business person, and he does this, and he gets us. It, it's what it's what Ross Perot was tapping into in the early nineties. Right.
1: Yeah, you know, I also think that. Okay. So, so by your definition, Trump can be successful with, um, a couple hundred thousand ardent supporters, right? Listening to whatever he's doing, watching whatever he's doing. He can make money off of that. He can be sustained that way. <clears throat> but I just don't think that for him, that will count as success. No, of course not. I, right. What he's, what he's, what he has been doing for 30 years is doing everything he can to try to force himself into the public limelight, be it in New York and it being on the national stage, right? He's trying to, he's forces himself into the public limelight calls, right? As a spokesperson, you know, disguise, doesn't even disguise himself, just uses a different name as a spokesperson for his company. And, you know, is dropping rumors about himself and et cetera. Okay. Um, Because he wants people to, he wants people to like him and he wants people to be talking about him. And I think that part of what is going to um hurt him in the Trump media uh, campaign that will come after this election is that when he goes down to having a couple hundred thousand people and that's it and he doesn't have – you know, these millions of people across the country that want to talk about him anymore because they're mad that he lost or whatever, et cetera, or they just have to get on with their lives. Um, he's not going to be satisfied with that. And that's going to make him make changes that even if he could be successful, you know, in, in kind of the small, less than half a million size market, then I, I think he's not going to be happy with that. And he's going to make changes then to try to grow that. And that's where he's going to fail because he'll lose those ardent supporters and he's not
0: actually going to gain anyone beyond that. Yeah, yeah I, I mean, I, I think he's got access to something that will prevent that from happening. And that is his well, – uh, I thought his uh, – what's his Twitter account? The real – It's yeah, real Donald Trump. Donald Trump – I can't. How many? Uh, how many? How many? I know my typing's out. I'm sorry, everybody. How many Twitter followers does uh, Donald Trump have? So, I'm, I'm trying to find it. The real Donald Trump. I'm spelling it right. Anyway, he's got Twitter. I mean, that's his. That's his broadcast medium. And he's got a lot of people on there who are,
1: Yeah. You know, he Donald. has. He has
0: 12.6 million followers. Okay, so Obama has what 70 something? Katy Perry is the the top Twitter follower person you know like she's got more twitter followers than than jesus
1: right obama's uh 78 million
0: yeah then um, bieber then taylor swift i believe then katie clinton Curry. clinton's just under 10 million yeah yeah so uh, it's you know like it or not i mean that's that's a pretty sizable even if a lot of those are are eggs that's still a pretty sizable situation and it's not going to be irrelevant, you know, and he's going to be able to leverage that for a long time. And he's going to be able to leverage this capital that he's built up culturally. Um, I don't, I don't think he's going to have to change very much. I think he's going to be him. He's going to go into whatever he creates or whatever has been created. Um, you know, after after all this stuff that, you know, this big advertising campaign that they've been working on. Um, and I, and I think it's going to be successful because, uh, You know, he's not only got the the Twitter and the 4chan following, but now he's got 40% of mainstream Americans who kind of say, well, we don't really like you, but we don't like her. So we're going to listen to what you have to say.
1: Yeah. You might be
0: right. We'll see. You might be wrong. I might be crazy. (laughs) But Donald Trump just might be the one we're looking for. Turn out the lights. Don't try to save me. Yeah, you know that song.
1: Uh yeah, but I can't think of it right like the name of it.
0: You may be wrong for all I know, but you may be right.
1: Yeah, 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 okay, yeah.
0: Maybe wrong. Who sang that?
1: I c I can't remember.
0: You wanna start the show now?
1: Let's start the show, yeah, let's start the show now.
0: Yeah. What do you want to talk about?
1: We need to talk about Bob Dylan. We didn't really talk about him that much last week. <laughs>
0: we called him the whole show after that. <laughs> I thought it was ironic. I was trying to be
1: kind of Bob. Dylan. I know. I was talking to a guy today, and he was like, "Yeah, I was listening to the show, but I haven't heard anything about Bob Dylan yet." It's like, <laughs> um, you got the joke. <laughs> I don't think we actually. I think I was on the pre-show.
0: Yeah, it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, but I was. I, if let's let's do a couple minutes on him here at the end. Okay. All right. I thought we uh,
0: just
1: just were starting at the I beginning just, of I the show. Record. record, yeah. But, um, after the that hour-long pre-show, um. So I've been thinking about him winning the uh, Nobel Prize for literature, right? obviously made a lot of people mad, a lot of people in literature mad, a um, lot of other people mad for different reasons. I thought it was great. I'm a big fan of Bob Dylan. Um, but I've been thinking about his music as kind of in relation to religion, right, and the religious themes that get picked up, and was kind of going back and thinking about some stuff and <clears throat> thinking about the, the kind of ebbs and flows as far as religion is concerned, over his musical career, right, and so I went back and listened to basically all of Saved, which came out in what like '79
0: or something like that. I think it was, yeah, '79 or '80, 80, '81.
1: Uh, oh, it might have been eight. It was '80. Yeah, so he started performing some of the songs on Saved in '79, but yeah, yeah. now '80. Um, but if you notice, like, so I, I'll say this: Bob Dylan has one of the best websites of any musician because. Yeah. All his songs are there and all of his lyrics are there. So he doesn't send you to some ad riddled lyrics site. It's fantastic. And he, they tell you, uh, he tells you when he first played the song, the last time he played the song, how many times he played the song in concerts. And then you can like look at every time it was played. It's a fantastic, fantastic website, but you notice a lot of the songs on saved, right? So this is kind of like during his evangelical years, he had this, um, kind of really strong religious evangelical experience and you could say that. Right. And um, but a lot of the songs, like, he he plays for like two years. And then you're like, okay, he never played that again after eighty one. Yeah. So it's it's really interesting. Um and honestly to me, like that's not his that's not his best religious stuff, right? It, it's really okay, no, his,
0: his best religious stuff is uh from um Not Dark Yet. What was what was that album um that he won the Grammy for? Oh, uh, you thinking
1: about was it Infidels?
0: No, No, yeah. that was too soon. That um, was still that was still in his. Religious that was '83. Yeah, now, this was like 1997, 1998. Um, Shadows of fallen. Uh, been here all day. Was it not not talked yet? That, I mean, that was one of the main oh, yeah. songs from that album. Anyway, yeah, yeah like the, that album is super religious, just like uh, some of his early stuff. You know, like you can you can point to John Wesley Harding and, and right, that album right. is. We were religious, blood on blood on the tracks. I mean, that was yeah, that was yeah. some good stuff in there. Well,
1: yeah. obviously, Highway 61 revisited. Um,
0: well, yeah, God said obviously. Abraham, give me a son. He Abraham, you must
1: be putting me on. But I mean,
0: it, you know, with with uh, Tangled Up in Blue, you know, like uh, you know, there's there's some really interesting stuff in there. Like uh, uh, she was a, a carpenter's wife. Don't know how it all got started. Don't know what they're doing with their life. Like there's some some fun. Analogies in there, and he, you know clearly he was a well-read kind of person. And, and John Lennon, who I love, always talks about the the influence that Dylan had on him as a kind of a, a person who read a lot about religion. And he got right. like Dylan would lend Lennon books about Christianity and Judaism and Sufi mysticism and stuff, and and Lennon would you know eat those up, and that became part of his kind of cultural religion as well. But anyway, I'm sorry.
1: No, 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 no. That's the that's rails great. There, yeah. yeah, Um But so, so I was thinking about that, and and like kind of going back to his evangelical days, and thinking like, hmm. I mean, this is interesting, but it's just not that good. I don't think you know. Uh, I mean, not bad, not bad, but um, but not in the way. I don't know. Like you think overt. So you think of artists that are not typically considered like Christian artists, right? Dylan was not, is not. Um, but when they do overt, um, kind of religious music, um, it's, it's often not good, but you have the example of, um, you know, God's gonna cut you down.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? Which is, um, Johnny Cash. Right. Johnny Cash, Man in Black, but, which is a, uh, a really kind of really good, um, overt religious song. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but I think the more powerful imagery, and this is, I mean, you and I talked about this a lot with like kind of, uh, nineties alternative music, right? The more powerful religious imagery is that which is just under the surface a little bit or Agreed. that is, in, right? <laughs> or that is infused with, um, with the culture around it, right? Yeah. It's, it's not so overt. And so that's why Highway 61 Revisited stands out. That's why a lot of these other things stand out. And, and so I, I think about that. I think about, um, you know, like fly from heaven, which is actually quite overt for Toad the Wet Sprocket, but um, but not if you don't know what you're looking for, right? Or so
0: Grateful Dead, Samson and Delilah, you know, like there's some really yeah, yeah. you know, religious imagery. And what
1: well, I think too, particularly if I'm thinking about and and maybe I shouldn't be putting these in the same category, but but for me they're in the same under the same umbrella, but with Dylan and Leonard Cohen
0: yeah exactly
1: right a lot of the things that they're doing with their lyricism and bringing in I mean even um, you know something like hallelujah is I don't know it's 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 still less overt I think than some of the kind of preachy stuff maybe that you would get on like saved um, I, but, I don't it's, know
0: that's so much more meaningful
1: that's what I think too that and that's exactly what I was gonna say is is it, when it is more covert like that, and actually in relation to the world around you or around the artist is actually when it becomes meaningful, I think.
0: Yeah. I mean, how, how can you listen to Hallelujah and not be like, wow, like King David, pretty interesting guy. Right. Yeah. You know, tied, tied him to her kitchen chair. She broke your heart. She cut your hair.
1: Right. Yeah. So he's all the yeah, Samson stuff there. Yeah. So, I yeah, that's what I think. Um so I don't know. I was that's that's what I was thinking about, like in the wake of Dylan winning the winning the Nobel Prize. Uh, I was kind of going back to, you know, his relationship with religion in his, um, I mean, his personal life, but also in his music. So, and I came across this old Rolling Stone interview too, um, where you know, the guy's like, "What's your faith these days?" And you know how Dylan, it like, he's kind of great. Like, so did you hear the Nobel Prize committee like couldn't get a hold of him because he wouldn't answer his phone? <laughs> They finally just stopped calling him.
0: (laughs) No, but that's great.
1: And I heard you try to call Bob Dylan. Yeah. I heard President Obama tell a story like last week or whenever um or I heard it get played. I don't know when the story was actually told, but he came to the White House to play for something. And he basically like walked in, did did one song, and then left. Like didn't want his picture taken with anybody or any. He was like, "No, nope, like screw this." <laughs> I don't need. I'm to Bob answer. Dylan. <laughs> exactly. Yes, was, but I but I came across this this quote in this interview, which kind of stood out to me, which I thought was pretty interesting, and gets at the point that you and I are making here. And this is later. This is from 2007, um, and so he says, "Faith doesn't have a name. It doesn't have a category. It's oblique. So it's unspeakable. We degrade faith by talking about religion." Yep. And so you wonder kind of like, is he looking back on some of the stuff like saved and uh Slow slow train coming and slur stuff train like, coming. That. Yeah, right. like that? yeah. Right, and thinking, um man, what was that about? <laughs> like that that was yeah, I didn't like that. Maybe that wasn't my most authentic self or something like that. I don't know. So it's it's um that's what I've been thinking about
0: in, in the wake of Dylan winning the Nobel Prize. Well, you know, I think about I mean I love Bob Dylan, and I'll, you know you know you you can't listen to even like Mississippi off of um, a more recent album but the song Mississippi if you haven't heard that from Bob Dylan like go listen Google, Spotify Pandora, whatever you use to listen to music these days like listen to Mississippi it's an amazing kind of transcendental I think Dylan S song that kind of encompasses his whole career, but it also has this religious element to it that unless you're listening for it, you don't get it. And having seen him live a number of times, um, including like he, he was the the first person to play Madison square garden after nine 11. And I happened to get tickets for that show. And it was like mid September, I think it was like September 19th or 20 or something. Like a week or two after uh, 9/11 in New York, and um, just somehow stumbled into tickets for that and got to go see that, and that was a transformative, like, religious experience. Um, You know, when when you see that type of that type of a performer doing that type of a thing, it's it makes you realize kind of the what they're tapping into. You know, so for me, it's like we've. (sighs) Not that we've lost that as a culture, but I don't think we had that. You know, like, like Pharrell doesn't do that.
1: <laughs> no, but you know who does. Bieber. You Know who does is Kanye West.
0: <sighs> I am a god.
1: Honest, honestly, I, I, Kanye West. I mean, you, you got Chance, the rapper, right? That's doing some of this stuff too. Yeah. I mean, he was he was at he was at FSU uh, just a week or so ago for um, homecoming and. Um, yeah, it was last week sometime, leading up to Homecoming, and um, yeah, I mean, he, like, you know, sings gospel songs. But, you know, so I was thinking, um, so Mississippi is on Love and Theft.
0: Love and uh, Theft, yeah. Uh, that's that's one of my favorite albums. Um, Lord, but I was thinking
1: about, uh, like, like, Psalm 40, right, with you 2 Yeah. Pretty overt, but actually how it's singing it. I mean, these kind of amazing experiences where the you know, the whole crowd, you know, the whole auditorium, the whole stadium will sing it, and then they go off one by one,
0: right? Yeah, you have to and watch the all- uh, "Wide Awake in America" yes, video on yes, YouTube where they go off one after the other. Yeah, and then the crowd just
1: keeps singing it. Yeah,
0: how right? long shall we sing this song? And you're like, yeah. holy crap, they're singing Psalm 40. <laughs> like, right. Um. Or I mean, yeah, YouTube is kind of the the most mainstream, like most overt. Right. You know, Christian band, and when you get to, I've also been to many, many YouTube concerts and loved their shows. And, um, you know that that meant something else in the '90s than it does now. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean they kind of sold out, I guess, in the early 2000s. But I loved Pop Mart, like that whole late '90s experimental phase. And, Zut- and what, what is it? Zeropa.
1: Zor- Zor- Zor-
0: <laughs> Zor- yeah. Not with the bunny in the fox. Sorry, Sorry Bono uh, no, Zeropa, That's an amazing album, and it's right. very religious. It's overtly religious, and so is uh, Mysterious. I mean, uh, uh, uh Axung Baby, right? You know, the one right before that. Um, but so they went to Berlin, and you know, Bono always famously said we had to reinvent the band because we were going to break up. And the Edge broke up with his wife, and Bono was on the edge of divorce with his wife, and they didn't divorce. But they went to Berlin to the Hasa Studios which is the same place that David Bowie went in the late seventies to record his Berlin trilogy. Um, you know, like three albums that he did that included things like the song heroes that everybody knows. Yeah. Um, and, and Bowie kind of refound himself. And it was at the time when, you know, a really heightened kind of uh, stuff going on with East and West Germany. And he's right along the wall. And that song is all about kind of division in one's life and one's religion. And, in heroes and in that whole Berlin trilogy, like Bowie is talking about the, the intimate relationship between God and man and, or God and humans and humans and humans. So you two went there to record Acton baby or Acton baby, uh, for that same reason. And they came out with that album, um, because they're all kind of going through these personal, like we, we can't be the Joshua tree group anymore, but we, right. we've got to figure out what we're going to do. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm a huge Bowie fan. Um but yeah, I mean David Bowie, god. I mean that's that, star Starman, like that that whole conception yeah, yeah. Of, of rock and roll and and, and religion is so over there.
1: So you don't think we see it anywhere now? Or uh, you know, we you know where else we see it some and, and maybe not quite as mainstream and completely different uh genre than Kanye West is Mumford and Sons, right?
0: Mumford and Sons. God, don't say that. Don't <laughs> say that. No. <laughs> oh, you you should have said Creed Thomas. No, No, Mumford and Sons. It that that is no, 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 no. Okay,
1: but even if you don't want to go as mainstream as Mumford and Sons, you can look at they're they're
0: not uh, they're not mainstream. I mean, but there's no like, there's no U two, there's no Bob Dylan, there's no Bowie anymore, you know, and and that's good, and it's bad, you know. But like, I'm 38, and I have no idea what someone who's 28 or 18 is listening to, but. 20, 30 years ago, we would all know Bob Dylan. We would all know David Bowie. you know, 10 years ago, well, 15 years ago, we'd all know YouTube or, you know, we'd be able to turn on the, the latest, you know, FM station or whatever, and listen to the top 10, top 40 hits. Um, that doesn't exist anymore in the world of Spotify. And that's good and bad. Right. right. So there are no more Beatles songs where, you know, you know, Paul is dead and we all get that joke, you know, like, yeah, yes Kanye can can do I am a god and and whoever you referenced I don't even know what that is like I'm sure they they're making those really great overt things but it's not like 15 years ago when we had Jay-Z making the black album which was an amazing album which I listened to because it was a mainstream album you know but yeah yeah you know
1: But, but now you have like Magna Carta Holy Grail, right, which is doing some of the same type thing. don't even I know I what that is. And I, I consider myself so so very musically literate. What yeah, I know. The, uh, is it? That, that's Jay Z. Yeah, but so does this that's say that. more about you or the music scene today? Oh, right? no. Probably, I'm an old play man. I, I've
0: given up on music. I listen You're to my. Both. Yeah, I, I listen to Wilka and the Beatles and Bob Dylan right. and David Bowie. Okay,
1: so here's what I want to hear from our listeners then,
0: right? I want to hear, like.
1: Do you think someone is doing this type of stuff now that that we haven't talked about?
0: Um, and it could be somebody obvious that we've missed or, or somebody – No, it's got to be obvious. I mean, because, yeah, I'm, I'm sure there's like yeah, the Jason Isbells and, be, yeah. and the Turtle Simpson. I mean, do you know right. Turtle Simpson, you know, yeah. like like Turtles All the Way Down? I mean, that song is all about religion and God. And, yes, in my little subgenre of alt-country, like that's a huge – a-
1: yeah, there's a lot of it there, right? And and that genre and the folk and the country, you know, western, alt country, et cetera. Yeah, it, it, it's there and it's been there a long time. But in the mainstream kind of pop area, I, I, I do think you're probably right in what's getting played, at least you know what is getting played on the radio. Yeah, like
0: is Imagine Dragons is that still a re- relevant band? I saw them. I don't know if they're still relevant or not. God, I saw them on the radio
1: today. I was like, I know them, and I thought kind of cool because. I haven't heard anybody talk about. Or, or, okay, here you're gonna hate. You're gonna hate this one. <laughs> Absolutely gonna hate this. Selena one. Selena Gomez, Coldplay.
0: They're not relevant anymore. Well, they okay.
1: <laughs> they sure okay. as hell are. I uh, are l- a lot of people are listening to them. I, I think they're huge and they're. I mean, have been for a long time. Big in They're bigger in Japan. Bigger in Europe than they are in here. <laughs> than they are here for sure. But that's what she said. Yeah, but Milo Zylota. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're doing some of those things. Um, the scientist, and, the scientist is a great song. Yeah, that, that, yes.
0: that's a relational song. But
1: you know. the but but Coldplay is kind of our right. I mean, they're they're, oh, the don't, only, go there. they're don't Don't do it. They're the only like no big rock no. band. No. that exists.
0: <laughs> no, nope. I, I refuse to accept that premise. I know it hurts you,
1: but you know who's coming up, or who I would like to see come up, anyways. Like somebody like the Struts. I don't know they're doing much with kind of like the religious imagery, but as far as like a good rock band, I like I like
0: the Struts. But anyway, um, that's what heard, I like. To hear. Have you heard of uh, War Paint out of Great Britain? No, 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 no. They're uh, all it's an all girl band or female band, and uh, really good. All
1: There's- right, you know, a long time ago on the show we talked about doing a regular segment on like music and religion, kind of, and we started making a list of things we we're going to talk about. And we never. As we always do when we say we're going to we're start not talking to
0: about Coldplay, Thomas, <laughs> <laughs> or Mumford <Muppert> and Sons, <laughs> or Jason Isbell.
1: <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so maybe we'll we will kind of bring this back in occasionally, but I do want to hear um, if anybody thinks we we've, we've missed uh, somebody. Um, okay, so just,
0: we just we did YouTube, Bob Dylan, The Beatles, Bowie, Leonard Cohen, Leonard Cohen.
1: Oh, we we just mentioned. We didn't talk about it a lot, but yeah, Leonard Cohen. Well,
0: yeah, uh, um, John Prine's got some good stuff. Throw away your TV, throw away your paper, go to the mm-hmm. country, build your home, eat a lot of peaches, raise them up on Jesus. No, no, raise, raise them up. Uh, yeah, they, they all found Jesus all, all on their own. Um, who else was kind of like a? We're, we're gonna, we're gonna get email if, if we don't get like five or six of these. The stones. Yeah, there's banquet. Yeah,
1: Babylon, right? Or what? Bridges to Babylon.
0: Bridges to Babylon. Prodigal Son. On Beggars Banquet. Um, I mean, you can't always get what you want. It's right. Covertly yeah. religious. Yeah. Even. Or, uh, you can come all over me. Um, <laughs> on uh, that song. On on, uh, the, the one with the birthday cake. Um, i It's yeah. late. You know. I know. I know. Vegas. This is really. I should know yeah. this.
1: Our listeners don't know this, but this is really late on a Friday night.
0: So this, is, this is what we're doing. Um, who, we, okay, we're going to we're going to email. Grateful Dead did yes. some overtly religious stuff. Uh, what other major mainstream bands? Prince.
1: Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I don't know how we miss Prince. That's a big one.
0: Right. Yes. Um Out there doing some Jesus stuff. Michael Jackson. No. Madonna. Black or Madonna. Prayer. Yeah, like a virgin. Oh, like a prayer. Ooh, like a prayer. I'll take you there. Yeah. yeah, but also like a virgin. Well I know I mean you want to go that way. I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but I mean, but she's had a number of, of run ins with religion and Christianity, especially. Yes,
1: yeah, for sure. Uh-huh. You know who I need to think about is uh if you now that you mentioned Madonna is um I what? wonder no, Lady
0: Gaga. Yeah, you know, I, I, I haven't listened to her enough, and her her, uh, her cover of Bowie songs at the Grammys was so terrible, I, I don't want to listen to it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've listened to some of her stuff. I just can't think of anything right now that is um, kind of this covertly religious like we're talking about there. I mean, she gets up Born That Way, but that's not really religious. That's just kind of like social
0: commentary. Yeah. Um, so. I mean, she, like she's a known quantity like Marilyn Manson was, but everyone knew like one song. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Nirvana had a yes some some fun subversive stuff. Heart shaped box. Yeah, you know in the video when he's up on the cross, right? Um, you know that's how David Bowie's last video, um, which is you should all go watch. Stop what you're doing right now and just Google David Bowie Black Star, which is his last single, and he had one before this called Lazarus. From the same, his last album uh, came out the the day he died, Uh, and the songs talk like in Lazarus it talks about like him being reborn, and then Blackstar talks about the day he died, and that song came out. (laughs) Anyway, he uh, intentionally did that, but holy crap, like that is an amazing video, and the way it ends is completely. like either you're like, wow, that's that's incredible religious imagery or you're like, wow, David Bowie was the Antichrist. <laughs> so it, it's 10 minutes long, but it's yeah. well worth it. And, and it's a great song and it's done by a jazz group. So I'll put a link in the show notes. But Thomas, go go watch Black Star after we get through with this. Yeah, I'll do that. I mean, you, you'll become a David Bowie fan after you watch.
1: Well, so, OK, I'm, I'm I'm a casual David Bowie fan. I'm certainly not the level of David Bowie fan that you are. But it's not because I have anything against Bowie.
0: Well, I mean, right. you, know, you know, he went a lot. I'm sorry. I had a birthday with one of my kids, so I'm hitting helium balloons all around me here. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he he had his big thing in the 70s. He had some big hits in the 80s with, like, the Phil Collins group. Right. And then in the 90s, he kind of went back to where he was in the 70s, but people didn't follow him back So for me. And... Like in the early 2000s, he kind of reinvented himself. Then he had a heart attack in 2004 and stopped touring, and then kind of came back in 2010, 2011 with a great album. And then this album came out, and then he died. Uh, but supposedly, I think it's okay.
1: So, so our listeners are going to tell us if we missed anybody big that's doing this type of stuff. Uh, but then I also would be interested to hear, like, you know, maybe what's your favorite. Um, kind of covert thing like this Like you, you get the reference But a lot of your friends don't Or you think a lot of people don't get the reference um, Send us those type things as well uh, Because that's right. they're like, songs And they're like, like Shine
0: Jesus, Shine songs
1: no, no, no. But it's something like Fly from Heaven from Toad the Wets Rocket. Yeah. Right. right. you actually have to know like what's going on in kind of the New Testament and things like that and and much more much deeper than a Sunday school level to kind of get what they're doing there. Uh so something like that, right? So um cuz I just be interested in I'm I'm going to go ahead and imagine there's a lot that I've not picked up on before that I just didn't know about. So um yeah. it's like like Letter Cry by Hootie and the Blowfish. Yeah. Just like that. Just like that <laughs> I like okay, I liked Hootie. I, I grew up as a as a Hootie and the Blowfish fan uh, for sure. But but man, Fairweather Johnson was just not that good of an album. I, I like
0: Fairweather Johnson better than <laughs> Cracked Review.
1: No, Cracked Review was Yeah,
0: Cracked Review was so much better than Fairweather Johnson. Oh. No. <sighs> old, anyway, old man, old, what, <laughs> old man the I forgot the thing. So I'm I'm here in Columbia, South Carolina, which is, you know, Hootie and the Blowfish Central. We we still have Hootie and the Blowfish Boulevard and like, you know, they, they had a, a successful album. So let's name everything in town after them. Right. We have the, uh, the, the Lexington Blowfish, uh, baseball team. And it's, it's pretty, pretty strange that they went to USC here. So.
1: Right. Well, they were big. I mean, obviously big in the Carolinas. Yeah, I grew up in Charlotte, so, um, yeah. definitely grew up as a big, as a big Hootie fan.
0: There was so. the first band I, I ever saw live at a concert when I was, uh, Seventeen. And I that's
1: you know. So I had this conversation with people, with some people recently, and I could not remember the first concert that I saw live.
0: Um, so that's interesting. Hootie and the Blowfish was your first concert. Well, they're they playing at the uh, Spanish Galleon in Myrtle Beach, which is like a, a bar, and you had to be twenty one to get in. And this was the mid nineties, and Sam owned a color printer and scanner at the time because, you know, as I do, right, I was able to uh, manipulate some documents. Um, so I was able to get me and my friends into the Hootie and the Blowfish concert because, but they hadn't broke big yet. Like Cracker Review had come out, but we all knew about this cool band from Columbia that that was coming down. But then the first real big concert I ever saw, oddly enough, and you're going to love this was in Raleigh. And my girlfriend at the time took me up because she had family there. And I was a junior in high school, I guess. And we went to see Hootie and the Blowfish open for, Toad the West. No, no, we saw Toad the What's Rocket over Hoodie and the Blowfish, yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, that was 1997 or 8, I think.
1: Oh man, No, so no, the, no it was, no, it
0: was 1995, 1995.
1: So the biggest one, like, so the, the earliest big concert I can remember going to, but I'm sure that I went to more before this, um, but I'm just not good with these types of memories, um, is um, I went to see Rod Stewart in concert with my mom. And it was great, because <laughs> I'm a Rod Stewart fan, okay, so and I will own this a, a brother,
0: Maggie. <laughs>
1: but that was but that was like after he had already started doing his like reinvention, which is just more like kind of classics, oh, he was doing like the uh, like
0: the, the standards thing,
1: right, yeah, kind of like that, and that part it was like, eh, it's fine, like but do your old stuff, you know, do like hot legs and things like that, so Maggie, that's a great song yes, Maggie is a really good song Wait, yes. with the mandolin
0: and at the end. Yeah. It's like Layla, you know, like the last five minutes that no one listened to.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Pretty all good. right. Um, we should, let's wrap it up here because I think we could just go all night and people will stop listening.
0: It's okay. Friday night. My kids are in bed. I got nothing. It's
1: Friday night. So we do have all night to do this. Um, but uh, I will say thanks for listening. As always, uh, you can find us on Twitter. That's where all of our best content is. Um, I'm at Thomas Whitley, Sam is at Sam Harrelson, and you can find more great podcasts at thinking.fm.